0: I just slept through an exam, and you're listening to a Radio 1 91 FM podcast.
1: Now I'm joined by Dr. Jonathan Squire. Good morning, Maureen, to you.
0: Maureen, good uh,
1: to be here. Yeah, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Right, we're going to talk about Physics 170, 170 Introduction to Modern Astronomy with Minimal Math. It's um, yeah. part of the summer school paper. Um, let's talk about heliophysics, Jonathan um especially in the context of earth um you know the sun it's our best friend it's our best friend That and jupiter also a very good friend of ours um but the sun also gets angry from time to time and likes to spit winds at us um but we have a sp- we have a shield one that grows from deep inside the earth what am i talking about jonathan
0: <laughs> that sounds about right yeah so the the um the sun is constantly spewing out stuff into space. So um, we call it plasma, but it's basically just gas which is firing off the surface of the sun. Mm -hmm. And this is the solar wind. And it goes uh, really, really fast, between 400 and 800 kilometres per second as it flies off, and then it kind of smashes into Earth. And uh, if it weren't for the Earth's magnetic field, we'd all be fried, and there probably wouldn't be life here or anything else. So luckily, the Earth has a... Molten core, which helps create a magnetic field, and then this this uh, plasma, or charged gas, smashes into a magnetic field rather than smashing into Earth and us and you know your dog and other things.
1: Yes, and that's so how, that's good. Yeah, so that's, that's great, and that's how we get beautiful auroras.
0: It is yes. That's right. Yeah. So the 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 wind as it as it hits the magnetic field, then rather than just kind of bouncing off it, gets stuck inside it. And uh, the magnetic field of the Earth gets, uh, like the lines join into the Earth at the pole. And so as it bounces around inside the magnetic field, the point where it starts touching the atmosphere is, is always near the pole. And so that's why you see aurora when you're at high latitude.
1: Yeah, I mean, why are we seeing, why in aurora are there different colours? I mean, there's always a lot of greens and a lot of reds and stuff. Is that the different gases? What is creating that? Because we we know when we look at other, well, you know, you know, and and a lot of people know that when you look at different planets uh, from from a distance, um, uh, you can tell the makeup of the atmosphere of that planet due to the colour. Uh, So is it the same uh, for what's hitting the Earth? We can tell the makeup of what's hitting us uh, through the colours of the aurora?
0: So very very nearly, yeah. It's it's due to the different gases, but it's actually just the gases in our atmosphere, wow. rather than the, the things idea. that are hitting us. So the things that are hitting it to make the aurora is actually mainly electrons, rather than so protons do too. But the uh, the electrons are uh, the ones actually causing the aurora. Yeah. And so they smack into oxygen or nitrogen, and depending on where they hit the atmosphere, the composition is a bit different, and so you can get different colours.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: But the green one is, is the most standard one, um, which is nitrogen, I think.
1: And the protons just get through, right? They go right through the Earth.
0: Um, no, they don't go right through the Earth. Um, uh-huh. they, they, they also get stopped by the magnetic field. Um, they, can, they can also come, really high-energy ones can come all the way down uh, to Earth. But, but most of them get stopped too. Um, so the solar wind itself has about you know, half protons, half electrons. Yeah, so the charges cancel out, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with a few other bits in there like helium and things. Um, but yeah, most of it, most of it gets stopped because protons would also be pretty damaging to you if, if they were hitting you in large numbers. And um,
1: you know, and, and if this didn't work very well, and if we were a little bit smaller and a little bit weaker, um, we'd we'd be in a bit of trouble. And we can look at Mars uh, and and, say, and see that right because Mars once we think, had a pretty well a, a thickish atmosphere.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So so I said it would make it hard for life to live because you'd get hit by all these fast particles, but also the wind would slowly strip off the atmosphere. So if you have your planet initially forms from this kind of disk of dust and gas, and that creates the, the gas that it picks up, creates the atmosphere on it, But then if you have uh, a wind and no magnetic field, it, it just slowly strips it away over millions of years. And without a magnetic field, there's not much room for life. Sorry, without an atmosphere, there's not much room for life to do very well. So the magnetic field is really absolutely key for protecting us, though we don't usually think about it very much.
1: No. So that's one part of heliophysics physics you're looking at, and one part of the Earth-Sun relationship. But there's other things that you're looking at within the paper. There's like this, the, the um, stellar evolution. Um, some say there's six steps. Others say there's more or less. But let's say there's six steps. What are the six steps of stellar evolution? Oh,
0: um, okay. I have to count to six, so I don't usually teach it with six steps. But there's lots of steps. <laughs> well, you, how many steps? So,
1: how many steps would you would you say
0: there are? Um, well, we'll see how many I mean, yeah, get You, do it, you, you do it
1: your way, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so the first step is the formation of the star itself. So you have to... So why do the stars exist in the first place? Well, um, basically you have... We, we like to think of space as being space, so being empty. There's nothing around there. But actually it's filled with gas that's mm-hmm. floating around, a bit like the solar wind. And... Um, it's just that this gas is very, very under-dense compared to what we're used to here on Earth. But sometimes it gets dense enough, so, you know, you get a blob that's big enough that gravity starts taking over, and in that case it will start falling in on itself, get squished and squished and squished, and um, then it becomes what's called a protostar if it gets squished enough. As it squishes down, it heats up, um, and eventually it gets to this magic number if it's big enough, where um, you can start joining together two hydrogen atoms to make helium. Yeah. And that's called fusion, and it releases crap loads of energy. So that's where all the energy in, in our sun comes from. It's from fusion. And so you have to imagine, basically, this big ball of gas compressing itself, compressing itself. As it does so, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and eventually it reaches the temperature where fusion starts, and then it becomes a star. And then it sits there for a long time. That's called the main sequence. So maybe that's step three. <laughs> um, and it sits on the main sequence for a long time, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Our sun will be about ten billion years or twelve billion years. And then eventually, um, this fusion process, which is slowly turning hydrogen into helium, well, it will run out of hydrogen. Mm-hmm. So. Once it runs out of hydrogen, it stops being able to support itself anymore, so it starts collapsing, and then, kind of paradoxically, that causes it to expand and get bigger again, and this creates what's called a red giant and blows uh, blows the rest of the star off into space, and this is basically the whole thing dying. Yeah. And uh, at the end, a star like our sun will leave behind what's called a white dwarf, Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: is like an incredibly compressed star. Um. So it's just this really small lump of stuff, and uh, it's very hot because it's been so so compressed. And we see many millions of these things flying around our galaxy, just the the old dead stars that are um, sort of flying around doing nothing. Um, So that's the medium-sized ones. I think the big ones are actually the most interesting. So if you have one that's bigger than 10 times the mass of the sun then rather than forming a white dwarf, it, when it collapses, it can't stop itself at all, and it forms this absolutely enormous explosion called a supernova. Mm-hmm. And uh, a supernova is so bright that if, if one went off anywhere in our galaxy, we would be able to see it during the daytime. So you would see a new star during the day. Yeah. Um... if one went went off anywhere in the galaxy. And actually this has happened in history, which I always thought is quite cool. So there are these recorded events in like 1066, Chinese astronomers recorded a new star in the sky, and they had all sorts of omens about what it was meaning and this kind of thing. And now we can look at the same spot where they recorded it and see this thing called the Crab Nebula, which is basically this enormous explosion, but one thousand years later. So we're yeah. watching the enormous fireball that the Chinese saw a thousand years ago, which is pretty sweet.
1: <laughs> and if, I mean, so that nebula, right? That's clouds of gas as well. I mean, do, would would a dead star like that that exploded would eventually would new things form from the makeup of that dead star from that explosion from those gases and everything else that's left behind
0: yeah that's a great question and yes um everything forms from the stuff of dead stars so you do as well yes so right at the start of the universe um we we know that there was just hydrogen helium and lithium as the only elements, and hardly any lithium And all of the other elements, that, like we're made of carbon and nitrogen and oxygen and everything else, that came from stars. As they burn their hydrogen into helium, uh, and then when they die, they make other elements. And then they explode and they recycle these elements back into the um, gas floating around in the galaxy. And these then collapse and form new stars. And so those new stars have different amounts of other stuff in them, and they might form planets and then we form from the planets. So currently our star is in the third generation of these stars, meaning we've had one set of stars collapse, burn some stuff, explode, Uh, then it's done it again, explode, fill the interstellar medium with new elements, and then it's formed another one, and then that's what our sun has come from.
1: Um, Some supernova um, can form into black holes, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so if you get a really big one of these supernovae I talked about, then um, the thing in the center that it creates becomes so heavy that it can't, there's nothing that can stop it from collapsing. And that's what we call a black hole. So a black hole is something that's so dense that even light can't escape from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have a heavy enough star, then it will create one of these black holes. And the crazy thing about black holes is that we. For the longest, I mean, for about 50 years, Einstein had predicted them from his equations. Well, actually, somebody else did, but his equations predicted them.
1: <laughs> yes, and,
0: uh, and then 50 years, they thought it was just this like nonsense coming out of the equations. Like, it didn't make any sense. It was too weird. Mm-hmm. And then 50 years later, they found them in the universe, and now they're like an integral part of physics. that yeah. People study, and we see them regularly, and we watch them collide with each other. That's right, and we've even got a picture of one.
1: So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've seen event horizons and all that kind of stuff. Do, what do you, What do you think is at the end of a black hole? Do you think there is? Do you, Do you think that there is an outflow?
0: Uh, like in, at the center of the black hole? No, no.
1: Well, will things go into it? Do what? Do, you know, and obviously, there's been a lot of theories about about black holes and, and um, what might might what, what might be, but. It's, if things, go, if light goes in, where does it go? Do you think there might be an outflow somewhere, like it's some kind of giant wormhole?
0: Um, well, that would be pretty cool, but um, I mean, I, I,
1: I mean, it's just matter disappearing, actually, right? say,
0: Nobody knows at all. So no, the, the, no. So I was asking the black what hole, your theory might be. Yeah, yeah sure, but the centre of the black hole is is actually the one thing... Well, one of the very few things in the universe that we know cannot be described by modern physics. So we yeah. know that our modern physical theories can't describe the centre of a black hole. But what we think it is is probably uh, just a very, very compressed lump of stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. so compressed it just keeps falling down onto itself. And uh, everything gets mushed all together. And whether you then can travel to other universes or something like this um, I don't know it's fun to speculate on it is fun yes. to speculate on we've got no idea but it's just and uh,
1: it's amazing how dense these things are and how, how dense um, like a, a neutron star or something like that is as well I mean a teaspoon of that um, is heavier than anything you can ever imagine Um, But one thing I always found fascinating with that is it also works in the opposite way. If you look at Saturn, the density is less than water. I mean, technically, Saturn could float on water if you had a bath big enough.
0: Yep. Yeah, we're used to looking at these things and thinking, oh, they must be really sort of solid and heavy. And they certainly are heavy, but they're not all that dense. it's it's quite weird Um, there's all sorts of I think this is why learning about astronomy and astrophysics is really fun is all this stuff where you kind of have an intuition for something that you've gained from watching stuff on earth or whatever and then it turns out that half the time it's just completely wrong and you have all these weird ideas that don't make any sense and and we use observations to kind of piece it all together and make it make sense. But figuring out how that works is like very non-intuitive and very interesting and kind of mind-bending in lots of different fun ways.
1: It is. It's amazing. And that's why papers like this uh, will be so much fun for people to do over a period like summer school. Like, you know, I mean, summer school, for some it's about finishing things off, uh, but for the most part it's about uh, doing stuff that, you know, you just uh, find interesting and and um astronomy is is one of those amazing things we look up all the time and we always kind of wonder why and this is a way we can get going and coming doing this paper with you is a way that we can you know get some answers to a few questions or find a th- few theories at least um, that that might lead to hopefully the possible answers to the questions. But there's other things as well. You're doing um, search for extraterrestrial life, looking at meteor impacts, and the size and the age of the universe. And and that one to me has always been f- fascinating. You know, how, I mean, how do you work that one out? How how big it is, or how, you know, how fast it's expanding, and, and the age of it. Um, um, you know, modern telescopes obviously can look so far. Uh, that it's almost beyond the realm uh, of uh, comprehension how far back we can look. Um, but, you know, do you ever think we'll get to the point where we can look back all the way to the beginning?
0: Um, no, and there's a, there's a kind of fundamental reason for that, that that we'll cover in 170, which is called the Cosmic Microwave Background Radiation. Mm-hmm. So there's two concepts which I'll, I'll try and explain quickly. So the first is that for the universe you have to imagine it being like a big rubber sheet which everything is expanding at once so if we're far away from something then it looks like it's moving really far away because the whole universe is expanding outwards. um and what we see in this thing called the cosmic microwave background is is what happened when the universe so Very early on, the universe was completely opaque, which means that light can't travel through it, because uh, the light keeps bouncing off stuff and gets stuck. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly, at 380,000 years after the Big Bang, it changed and it became transparent. And so, when it suddenly changed, that's what we see nowadays in the microwave spectrum, called the cosmic microwave background. And so before that it was opaque Which means we can't see anything So we can't possibly see to the start of the universe Because it was Because it was opaque um, And then But then suddenly after that we can see And we can measure all its properties So that's actually the main reason how we know Exactly how old the universe is um, We know it Very very precisely because we can measure All the properties of this cosmic microwave Background in great detail And we've had lots of satellites which have gone up to measure this
1: and, and and that's reasonably new, too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was discovered in 1960 that they didn't have many properties of it. Um, the three satellites where they really have nailed it down, uh, the first one was WMAP, which was in the early 2000s, I think, but I might mm. be wrong on that. Mm. And then there's been two since then, which have just made more and more precise measurements and, and really narrowed down on exactly how all this works. So it's quite amazing how much we know about that very early phase from, yeah. from this cosmic microwave background
1: and, and, and it's also quite amazing that even though you know quite a bit about it there's still so much more to learn and hopefully uh, people doing this paper uh, might get interested in learning more and moving on beyond the, beyond the point of, of 170 um, so um, yeah I mean it sounds incredible so what, um, who, who do you think this paper's for? Who who should go and do do this for for summer school?
0: Um, Yeah, I think basically anybody who is interested in astronomy is great. So as you said at the start, there's very little math in this paper, and we deliberately keep it that way. It's effectively a survey of of the universe and all the cool things in the universe, as well as some of the history of how we know about them. And um, it's done from the perspective of uh, something that's accessible for effectively anybody um, after high school. So well, there'll be some... Basically, we don't have any maths involved at all, uh, just, some, you know, multiplying 10 by 10 occasionally. Um, and we try and teach you everything from the kind of very conceptual standpoint. So it's it's designed to be very interesting for both physics majors um, who, who don't necessarily learn all this stuff, but then also like humanities majors or... Um, Business or whatever, it, it it's completely open to anybody and any age of, of um, like any year at university. I think I think will work well because the way it's structured, it's it's it doesn't really assume prior knowledge and unless you know all about this to start with, then it, it won't seem boring because we're yeah. covering so many different concepts.
1: And how how intensive is it?
0: Um, it's. So we have four lectures a week um, and a lab and a tutorial so it's a fair amount of time but there's uh, there's no homework um, we have a, a simple multi choice mid semester test and um, and then you have to come to the labs and tutorials and we do two essays so it's pretty uh, it's pretty relaxed I think nice. I think most people enjoy the workload as not being too crazy and um, and kind of a a fun thing to do over
1: the summer yeah amazing well it sounds really great and i know it's always really popular so if anyone, anyone wants to uh get involved and um have a look at this paper and and sign up for it uh you should jump on the summer school website which you can find easily online just look up Otago university summer school and then look up uh, physics 170 and you'll find it there and you can sign up and you can have some fun learning about uh modern astronomy with minimal math Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Have yourself a wonderful day, uh, and um, hopefully um, you'll have full classes uh, come the beginning of
0: 2022. Yeah, I hope to see see everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Jonathan. (laughs) That was a Radio 1 91FM podcast, but find more at r1.co.nz.